Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and the brightest from the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity to drive your career forward. I'm excited to welcome my guest today, Zach Nadler, co founder and CEO of Vayner Speakers. And he has built a career helping luminaries share their stories of impact and inspiration. With longtime client and now partner, Gary Vaynerchuk, Nadler founded Vayner Speakers in 2018, and he represents best selling authors, entrepreneurs, CEOs, thought leaders and tastemakers negotiating innovative deals for his clients on stages and screens. Well, more screens these days, and we'll get to that around the world. <laughs> and previously, he spent over nine years serving as leading client agent at the speaker's department at CAA, working the world's most recognizable talent. And his 14-year career spans back to memorable events, including the 2008 Summer Olympics in Beijing. We're going to talk about that, what it's like to work with Gary V, and a whole lot more. Zach, let's do this. Awesome. Looking forward to this. Cool, man. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast. So let's start here. I don't want to bring my my tribe up to speed. The podcast is about career journeys because people mm-hmm. are probably like, how the heck did he go from high school, middle school? Now all of a sudden he's working with Gary Vee. How does that all happen here? But let's really talk about, you know, in college. I mean, I feel like, did you always know that you were going to get into this world of, of, of sports and celebrity? I mean, you studied sports management at NYU. Was it always in your blood? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, I think everyone has like a passion. You know, I was five foot ten in seventh grade, and I was like, "Great, I'll be a basketball player." And then, uh, you know, I'm still five foot ten, so I realized pretty quickly like <laughs> yeah, that, that wasn't going to happen. And uh, yeah, you know, those who can't uh, teach or represent. So I kind of pursued this, but you know, in college, it's kind of something where I went. I studied sports management. Everyone wanted to be an agent or running a sports team. Uh, there aren't that many opportunities to do so. Uh, but I think it's myself and one other person who actually wound up being sports agents at the end of the day um, from that program. And, you know, not a lot of people wind up uh, saying they want to be speakers agents per se, uh, but it's a it's a different part of the industry and it's still a huge part of the industry. So it wasn't exactly what I set out to do, but I knew I wanted to be working with talent or working in sports in some way, shape or form. I just thought I'd be running the Patriots by now. Oh, interesting. Interesting. And, and how much did the movie Jerry Maguire really kind of put that spark in you or didn't <laughs> i would say it actually didn't put the spark in me i you know i i knew I, I actually thought coaching would be a place i wanted to go but you don't see a lot of uh um you know people my size on the sidelines especially you know 20 years ago um theo epstein kind of made it possible for people to think that you know a 30 year old could be running a sports franchise um but even then you know there's 120 professional sports franchises in the <clears> four <throat> major sports um, so it wasn't realistic, but Jerry Maguire was a great thing for my mom to be able to explain to people what I did until Entourage came around. And then I was already gold <laughs> in her mind. And, you know, it's just a way of, uh, of, of 
of helping people understand what exactly I do. <laughs> Interesting. So Ari Ari Gold, um, what the hell is his name in Entourage? I like I'm literally drawing a blank right here. Um, oh no, that's his name in Entourage. Jeremy Pittman. Yeah, Jeremy Pittman. Ari Gold. Yeah. Okay. Got yeah. it. Right. Uh, versus Jerry Maguire. Who's mm -hmm. a better agent? Who's a better agent in your mind? Different agents. As long as you're working for your clients, you're a good agent. Jerry Maguire, uh, I think, was pretty idealistic. Ari Gold, I think, had uh, tactics I wouldn't necessarily say I agree with, but he always <laughs> did have his clients' best interest at heart. So, you know, some agents, uh, you know, this is a, a podcast, excuse me. Um, I guess we could swear some agents are assholes. Um, that's a part of the job, but that's not the, the main part of the job. No, no, not at all. I mean, it's a podcast. You could, you could say whatever you want on here. It's so interesting, tactics. <laughs> and we talk about it all the time. It's the how, right? Everyone talks mm -hmm. about the why, the Simon Sinek why and everything, but it's the how, the how you go about things. How do you live your life? Always, I think Gary even says it, doing the right thing is the right thing every time. It's something that I live by, mm -hmm. something he lives by. Um, but I want to I want to take an, a, a step back before we go forward here. And you started out working in the golf and hospitality industry. Um, yeah. Are you a golfer? Like, do you love golf? Nope. Like, how'd you, how'd you fall nope. into that? <laughs> I know I, I'm my dad's disappointment when it comes to golf. I'm working on it, but. Well, you know, it's tough living in the city in Manhattan here. Uh, it's like an eight hour day if you're going to play a round of golf and it's it's miserable. So I am not a golfer. I tried for a little bit around that job because I was getting free golf balls and I felt like, you know, the least I could do is, is put them in some uh, some water hazard somewhere. Um, but no, I didn't really know. It was something where it was a cool opportunity. I, I was 18 years old. Um, it was a small company and I could pursue pretty much every part of the company. So they needed help across the board and I was able to do everything. So, you know, 10 weeks a year, I was on the road four or five days traveling with my childhood idols, right? Pro Bowl football players, all-stars from the NBA, uh, Major League Baseball, actors, entertainers, musicians, politicians. It was the coolest thing ever. Um, now the hours are things I couldn't do now, right? Waking up no. at four o'clock in the morning to be on a golf course is, is not something that um, you know, I, I desire to do now, but back then it was, it was fun. It was amazing. So oh, I didn't necessarily know I'd be golf, but, uh, it certainly was a lot of fun. Do you remember the first time you were starstruck? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny because that actually changed things for me because the starstruck nature of it, you know, when you're around celebrities after a while, you kind of lose it. Um, but you know, there are certain moments, there are certain people where that you're always going to be starstruck. They're heroes. I, when you're in front of your hero, I, I, you, I when mean, I had a, a voicemail from Bo Jackson, I was standing at the bank and that was like a moment where like I dropped my phone. Right. Is Bo Jackson arguably one of the best athletes in the history of sports? Yeah. I mean, pure athlete, his injuries hurt his career, but oh, pure athlete. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, he's like, uh, who's one of the few Paul multi, Lundin? multi, yeah. Multi-sport, you know, like, but truly yeah. successful. Even Mike, I mean, Michael yeah. Jordan was not a great baseball player, right? It's really hard, you know, really, really hard to do. So, you know, you, you, you do the, you do the golf thing for a number of years. Mm -hmm. CA, I mean, every, like, people in the industry know it's, it's, it's best in class. How was it always on your radar CA? Like, how did you, how did you get in there? Oh, so it's funny, I had an opportunity to interview for a job at CAA. It was going to be moving out to LA. Uh, it wasn't going to be working in sports. And at the time, that was what I wanted to do. So I didn't even pursue it. Um, I had no idea. And the company grew quite a bit from that opportunity to when I started there. Um, but I basically, I got recruited in because I had this background in sports. I was based here in New York. Um, I was doing speaking deals and I was doing some deals with CAA. So they asked me to come in and help grow the department. And you know, it was small. There were six of us when I started. Uh, by the time I left, I think there were 23 or 24 of us. So it was so, an entirely different group, but it was something where it was a really great opportunity because I was able to work with, you know, literally hundreds of different celebrities and speakers from across the board, you know, entrepreneurs, chefs, uh, you know, athletes, musicians, directors, video game creators, you name it. I was able to kind of work with them. So I really was able to, to see a lot mm -hmm. of the entertainment world. 
Um, and there aren't a lot of places that offer that kind of a, you know exposure. No, it's it's unbelievable. And going back to those early days in the industry, was there like one big lesson you learned the hard way? And I mean, <laughs> we all have we all have these, right? We all make this like we all make this mistake, this misstep. We embarrass ourselves, especially in front of like you know clients or someone you know pretty important. Like, was there one where you're like, oh my god, I I I I really haven't told anyone this story, but I'm so embarrassed. But you know what? It's been 15 years. I'm gonna I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna let it all out on the podcast right now. You know, just one is hard to say. I think, you know, when you're a young agent, and I was 24 when I started as an agent, which is one of the youngest to come into that company. And it's it's a lot of things, right? And I think you have to you have to learn fast. So my dad always told me CYA, right? Cover your ass. You know, and I think one what of the that, lessons I learned pretty early was, you know, get it in writing. You know, just because you have a relationship with someone, they tell you they're gonna do something. If you don't have it in writing, you can't prove it. And so there were plenty of times where I was put in a position where I was telling a client something based on a relationship, but it didn't come come to fruition. And frankly, I rather the relationship with the client than with the customer, um, because that's who I'm representing. That's who I'm responsible for. So I learned that pretty quick, but uh, I got to tell you, once you, you make a big screw up like that with an A-level celebrity, you don't do it again. Oh, you you learn your, your lesson um, pretty quickly. And let's talk a little bit about you know these deals and you've evolved your negotiating mm -hmm. tactics. You've evolved your kind of out of the box thinking to really innovate there. But, you know, how do you find that balance that works for the talent, the client, the brand, the partnership? Is there is there a secret sauce? Is there like a go-to kind of check down list in your head to make sure that everyone's happy? Yeah, I mean, it's going to sound kind of uh, silly when I say it, but the secret is just be honest, right? The more you try to, you know, uh, shade around the edges, the more you try to get creative with the lies, you're going to get caught. And it's also something where, look, the truth comes out eventually. So I always find that when you're honest with people on both sides of the negotiating table, you're going to get a deal done much faster. And then everyone's going to be happy with the deal, right? If everyone knows what's on the table, if everyone knows what's being negotiated and what's what's possible, you know, they're more willing to compromise if there's a compromise that needs to be made. Um, but I also find that if you're not honest, the deal winds up taking 10, 20 times more work because you're then having to, to you know fix problems down the road. I'd much rather attack 100%. it. And if the deal doesn't happen every now and then, so be it. Oh man, do you have uh, any any regrets about you know the the big deals that could have been? How do you deal with regrets? I and mean, we don't have to dig into those deals that fell apart. But I think one, <laughs> I think a really important lesson for folks early in their career, especially if they're in any type of sales or partnership, is how to deal with the nose and how to deal with the rejection. How how did you build up that fortitude inside to deal with nose and rejections? Reps, right? I mean, like you know this else, probably right? well too, right? <laughs> you know, when you're in sales and when you're a young person in sales, you hear no a lot. And I think the over time you kind of figure out that it's just part of it. You can't take it personally. Um, and you got, can't look at it as a regret. Cause I think once you start dwelling on regrets, you're gonna, you're already losing because um, it's gonna affect the way you react and the way you respond. So I always look at it as you gotta, you know, accept the defeat, um, look at it and, and try and learn from it. Is there something you could have done differently or something you could do to save it, but then move on and, and figure out, you know, it's, you know, one of my clients writes a lot about stoic uh, philosophy and, and the, the, the message I always pull from that is it's not what happens to you. It's how you respond. So, you know, if you make a mistake, learn from it. If somebody does something that you can't control, you can't control it. And you can only worry about what you can control. And then you got to figure out what you're going to do next. Hundred percent, and, that, and that's been that's been a tough lesson for me. I mean, I, I just turned forty two, and I look back at that all the time. Being able to let go of things that you can't control, I think that's 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 mm -hmm. incredibly difficult uh, for so many people. So let's switch gears a little bit, and I want to sure. you know bring bring you into my world here. What do you think is similar about you know booking talent <laughs> versus talent recruitment? Like, 
we're, we're both in kind of like this. We're looking for the right talent. We're trying to find the right match. It's interesting. A lot of crossover here. Yeah, well, I'm actually curious. I want to throw this back to you. What what do you look for when you're trying to pair a, a company with an executive? Like, what do you? How do you go about that search? Yeah, this is a great question. Um, there's kind of a spidey sense that I have that a lot of great recruiters have, and I think you feel it too when you feel the match. I am mm-hmm. a natural connector, similar to you. That's my superpower. It's one of those things like in the Matrix, like I could see two people that <laughs> I know that don't know each other, and I could see like a little blurb above their head and and connect the dots there. But it's really when it comes to a, a company. You think about the word culture and what a culture means to me is a is a fabric. It's a quilt made of different materials, different colors and everything. And what's going to make that fabric look the nicest, be the strongest, be the best that it can be. And I use that analogy a lot when I'm talking to candidates, um, because the last thing you want in any organization is, is everyone to look the same, everyone to act the same. So I look for different mindsets, different thoughts, different backgrounds and how that really plays into what this company is trying to build. Does it align with their vibe? Does it align with their principles? And that's really the approach that I take. And there's no science to it. It's an art. Yeah. Well, I think you're right. And I think you use the analogy of the quilt. I always say it's like a puzzle, right? You're trying to find the piece that fits. So I look at it. When somebody comes to me and says, we're doing this event, first off, you got to figure out what's the event, who's who's the audience, the audience, right? What do you want? What are you trying to get out of this, right? There's usually two kinds of speakers. People who are coming in and speaking endemically to your field or to who the audience is, or people are coming in for more of an entertainment approach. Um, And then sometimes there's a little bit of both. And so I think you have to identify the needs you're trying to fill, just like you'd have to identify what's the position you're trying to fill. And then it's a matter of presenting options. But I always look at it, you know, to me, it actually is fairly comparable, right? You want someone who is going to fit culturally, right? You don't want to bring someone in who doesn't have good ethics if your company is built on ethics. So what are they going to come in and actually teach your employees? What does that say about you as a company? So there's, there's so much, I think that actually is a crossover because the same things that you look for in a candidate, you know, when you're going to pay them a salary over the course of a year, same things you're looking for out of someone you're going to pay for an hour long speech, right? It's just about managing what the expectations are, what the the information they're going to present is, and that it's a fit with the company. And, and that's a hard thing to do sometimes because I think some companies may be thinking of themselves a little bit differently than what they're actual, um, what they actually stand for. So you got to kind of work them a little bit to figure out what that is and, and, and find the people that fit. And that's kind of where you say the spidey sense, like that's my job is to know what the speakers are out there are talking about, who they, who they represent and, and kind of what, what the energy. themes they can talk on. Oh, a hundred percent. Boring speakers can be great for the right group. Yeah. Depends on your audience. And, and you kind of, yeah, I want to, I want to ask you this, like, what's your, yeah. What's, what's the process there for really like when, when you're trying to figure out, all right, you have an opportunity. I mean, let's just take them mm-hmm. I and we'll get to it in a little bit. We'll take LinkedIn Talent Connect 2019. You know, I, I saw Gary on the lineup. I'm like, oh, well, well, I mean, listen, of course I know Gary, but it was interesting to see him hit the stage. And one of the first things he said, he goes, how many people here know who I am? And there was, uh, I think, I think, you know, like there was like thousands of people in the audience there and less than a quarter of the people raised their hands. So then I'm like, you know, I'm like, interesting, mm-hmm. right? Like, was he the right, right guest for that? But how, how do you kind of put that together? Well, I always love that. And that's kind of one of the funny things about my world, right? You know, some of the biggest speakers are not household names. They can walk down the street and no one's going to notice them. But the people who know them are usually obsessed with them, right? That's just kind of the way it works in my world. So I I think it's interesting, but I think, you know, that's an interesting event, right? Because they're looking for people to come in and all of their speakers were great that that year. That was 2019, I think, right? And yeah, the last one, you know, everyone, everyone kind of comes in and it's, again, it's a, it's a puzzle. It's a quilt. You got to, 
put the pieces together because that's an event that brings in multiple speakers. So you don't want like five people all talking about the same no, thing and then the contradicting same. one another. You want to find was, people who are going to compliment one another. Exactly. I was just about to say that, like thinking about it. I mean, I forgot who was on before and after Gary, but it was complimentary. I mean, Gary comes on a completely mm -hmm. different energy than everybody else. No, no fanfare, just walks on the stage and we know his routine there versus somebody who sits down, they have the table, they have their drink ready, you know, the legs that's cross, right. they're getting a little bit more academic. And that's the yin and yang. That's what I love about that. So enough about Gary. We'll get to him later. Um, You've worked with a ton of talent creators, you know, across the spectrum, Grammy winning musicians, CEOs, Fortune mm -hmm. 500 companies, presidents, Nobel Prize recipients. Do you have a favorite, Zach? Do you have a favorite, not person, because <laughs> I'm not going to do that to your clients. Right. I appreciate but that. I'm, I'm going to ask you here, like, is there is there just a category that's near and dear to your heart that you just love working with and booking? You know, it's it was interesting. At the early part of my career, it was people who, um, you know, people I knew. Right, because I would book people who I didn't necessarily, like. I I may not be um, uh, a fan of this particular playwright, right? Because I'm not going to this Broadway show, but they could have a huge audience, right? Huge and so I would book them, and I, I have all sorts of play people like that, and the ones that would excite me were the what the actors, the celebrities that I knew. Um, but over time, it's the people, the people who were nice, the people who that you know appreciated it, who put the time and energy in, and were a lot of fun on site for both me as well as for the customer. So it, it evolved over time, and I don't think there's any one category of people. Um, but chefs can be a lot of fun, right? They're used to having fun. Who doesn't like to cook? So when they show up right. to a meeting with a pizza, that's, or a cake, like, that's not a bad thing. Um, but like, you know, there's some small, like Mel Brooks, right? When I got a chance oh. to work with him, um, oh, wow. that one, that was amazing. Right. But there's legends. Oh, like that's that a legend right there. Be, anyone's going to love them. So it's hard to say that I'm so, spe I'm so, uh, um, specific with my, uh, my goals, but there are some really great people out there. And I think what's been the funnest part of my world is over the last 10, 15 years of the industry's changed. So you know, 15 years ago, huge celebrities weren't doing speaking engagements. Nowadays, they are, right? You want to yeah, book George Clooney. He's out there doing one or two events a year. There's an opportunity. So it's really a lot more attainable people than there ever have been. How much is George Clooney? For an hour? <laughs> he's not George... one of my clients, so I won't go on the record saying anything, but it's a lot more than uh, most people make in a year. Right. I mean, we're talking seven figures to get George Clooney in an event. No, but six figures, well into it. Oh man, I always, it's so funny to him. Like if I won the lottery and I had this conversation with a buddy, we had a couple of drinks a few weeks ago and we we're talking about my show and he's like, so if you won the lottery, would you still be doing your show? I'm like, absolutely. But I would have a crazy production budget. Literally, I would have like the full <laughs> Howard Stern studio here and I would be able to book, like you could get who you want on the show and I would make it like my fantasy baseball team. I would literally mm -hmm. have a lineup of everybody that I've always wanted and I would make charitable, nice charitable donations um, to them. But so let's switch gears. So let's talk about Gary. Um, how, right. It'd be fun. Let's let's sidebar that and come right. up. With a we'll fantasy. bring in an audience. I like that. No, no, no. But I like this idea of um, a fantasy speaker league. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll work on it. We'll workshop it there. Okay. Um, how did you get first connected with Gary? So Gary was actually a client of CAA's when I got there. Right. And this was 2009. So he had just launched VaynerMedia. Um, he was the wine guy on YouTube. Right? Not the he house was not, is now. not yep. Gary. Right. That year, I think, was the year he put out Crush It. Um, which kind of, I think, put him on the map a little bit, but he was still not not who he is today by any means. Um, and I love when you were talking about uh, Talent Connect, you know, he he doesn't do it as much as he used to, but before every speech, he would get on stage and ask, how many of you know me? And it was usually none, right? Or maybe it was 5%. And that would always give him a sense of, okay, this audience doesn't know me. I got to go into this. I got to give the credibility so that they'll listen to me at the end. And, and who the hell is this guy, this underdressed yeah, and gentleman. go into a group, a room full of, you know, 
uh, of gray-haired people who, you know, have no idea what social media is in 2009. I think he my nephew knows about this, Gary V. <laughs> yeah, he'd ask how many of you are on Facebook, right? Like, think about that. So it's evolved quite a bit. But, you know, Gary and I first connected. I remember um, it was actually a few blocks from where I live now, which is kind of funny. But we did an event, and it was the first time I met him, uh, probably 2011, I think. Um, I had booked him a few times before that, but I hadn't traveled to the events for one reason or another. Um, but over time, we just we worked together more and more. He was in New York. I was in New York. Um, I was really into his messaging. Uh, I think we had a similar like ideology when it comes to customer service and sales in terms of being upfront, being transparent, mm-hmm. um, you know, leading with empathy. And I think these things kind of resonated. And we just kind of got each other. And I think more and more, he allowed me some freedom and flexibility to do things that other clients weren't as willing to do. Um, get creative with the deal structure, get creative with the financials, figure out ways to benefit him. Um, you know, I take no credit for for the career he's built. I mean, he's the one on stage. He's the one selling books. Um, but he gave me a lot of chance to to be different and do things differently, which is kind of how we came together to build Vayner Speakers in the first place. We're like, it's a 50-year-old industry. No one's innovating. Let's try and disrupt this the way he's disrupted Love everything it. else. Yeah. And one big takeaway that I got from Gary from my limited time even working with him, and I had an opportunity to sit on some sales meetings, which is a thing of beauty to be in a meeting and anybody who's ever worked at Vayner, like I'm dressed like I'm dressed now, like there's no dress code there. Mm-hmm. But when you go to a business meeting as a, an account executive, <laughs> you're dressing the part for that client, except for Gary, he walks in with the hoodie and everything. But just to see him work as magic is a thing of beauty. But one of the things I learned is thinking, Gary's thinking outside the box when it comes to deals. It's not just linear when it comes to money transaction, mm-hmm. but what else could it be? What's the barter? What are the opportunities? What is the access? And I think that's a real key thing because it's always a few steps ahead. It's a chess right. game. And that's something I learned from him. I'm assuming you took a lot of those key takeaways from the early days with Gary, even now. Absolutely. I know 100%. I think we still do that stuff. I think we still look at it and say, just because it's a certain, been a certain way doesn't mean it has to be a certain way. And one of the things I love, you know, I, I loved my time at CIA, but it was a big company structure with a lot of bureaucracy and there were certain things you could or couldn't do. We have a lot more flexibility and freedom to kind of go outside the lines um you know try new things and and you know it's nice when your your partner is your biggest client um because he can be your guinea pig sometimes uh and and someone like gary you know i i also use him as a as you know someone who has great knowledge and he's one of the foremost speakers in the world if i'm not asking him questions and trying to learn from him i'm oh, yeah. probably pretty stupid so you know we we try and push the limits where we can but i think it's that same idea where it's not always about the dollars and cents right what are the other chess pieces that we can play with how can we get who's, in the, who, who's the audience who is he gonna is he gonna be in front of a room of, of all biz dev prospects? Like who's the audience that you're talking to here versus the cost of you know his, his fee there? I mean, it, it's kind of crazy. You mentioned something interesting about what you've learned from Gary, but what do you think Gary's learned from you? Oh wow. Um outside of Patriots wins, you know, like how to how to I mean, a, you know root for the right team. I don't know. Uh <laughs> I can't even imagine. I mean, he I kept that hates, from him for years. He hates the Patriots. <laughs> I mean, Lowe's yeah. even hated me as a giant fan. I'm like, dude. Yeah, I don't think I think I kept that from him. I'm surprised he even worked with you. I'm I'm actually started, surprised that he still worked with you. That says a lot he's about your record. Is saying he wouldn't invest in a Patriots fan, so I think I'm the first. But I don't know. I mean, I think I wouldn't say he's necessarily learned things from me, but I think we've learned things together, right? I think we've we've tried to see what's possible, um, and it's also interesting because I mean, look, we both evolved as people, right? He yeah, didn't have kids up. when we started working together, right? The the company itself is totally different. So it's something that is really, it's, it's rather than the learnings, I look at the how things have evolved. How have we really managed to do all this stuff together and, and grow the business? Hey Tribe, quick break in the action. 
to introduce you to one of my close podcast friends, Hala Taha, and her show, The Young and Profiting Podcast. She interviews the brightest minds in the world, like former spies on how to gain influence, billionaires on biohacking your body, and even celebrities like Matthew McConaughey on what it's really like behind the scenes. At Yap, they go deep. There's no fluff on this podcast, and Hala asks all the right questions. You can listen at youngandprofiting.com or search for Young and Profiting on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or your favorite podcast app. Now, back to the action on the podcast. That's a, that, that, that's a great answer. I want to go back to a question that's, that I forgot to ask, and it's okay to do this because it's my show. Of course. <laughs> um, what happens when a speaker bombs, and how do you handle it? <laughs> like, it tell, 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 so tell us a story. Of, sure. You don't have to name names. You could give like okay. a, a, you could allude to a genre maybe. Okay. Because we need something okay. here. I don't, don't just keep it yeah. general. Give me a little something. This is a podcast. So, there's all sorts of stuff I can tell you, but you know, ultimately when, when a speaker bombs, right, it's in the eye of the beholder, right? So I had a client of mine who um, I worked with as much as any other speaker um, over a 10 year period, right? And I used to say about this person when I was on sales calls, and this wasn't just bullshit, I would literally say, if I was allowed to give a money back guarantee, I would give a money back guarantee on this person. They weren't the most expensive speaker, but I booked them more than anyone else. I was booking them. I would have booked them for a group and then the group would say, great, we want him back next year or we want to book him for our three other regions. He was the best. And I booked him for a great customer. I, Gary actually spoke at this same event the year before um, and he comes off stage and they looked at me and they're like, he was terrible. I was like, terrible? Were you in the same room as me? And so when you talk about someone bombing, it's not always when someone actually bombs. It's when someone thinks that someone bombed. So it's it's you know it's shame on me because he probably wasn't right for that audience in the first place. Well, that's so the thing. it wasn't necessarily his fault. It was on me. And I think you got to take accountability, and it's my responsibility to make sure that the speaker is aware of what the group is looking for, that they can prepare accordingly, that they're on time. And you know, look, sometimes it just doesn't work out. There are also someone people has who day, just like an athlete. Yeah, hundred percent. There are also people I just don't work with anymore because they're terrible. Right. You learn pretty quickly when someone's bad. And sometimes it is in right. the eye of the holder. Other times there's them. bad people, bad speakers, and, and you learn real fast. You know, there's one person who um, will remain nameless, uh, a very successful uh, person in news, we'll say, um, who was actually sent home from a two day event after the first day. Al Roker. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, I love Al Roker. Al Side Roker's note, a delight. It was not Al Roker. <laughs> Al Roker's story of sharding in the White House is still one of my favorite things I've ever heard. You know that one, right? The Al Roker sharding yeah. story. Google that afterwards. You're gonna, you might shard yourself. Hopefully not, and we don't want sharding here on the podcast. Area. But I, I, I digress, right? But you talked about something really interesting, which is preparation. Mm -hmm. How do you? I mean, listen, talent, our egos. There's different levels of talent there. But how do you ensure that the talent is prepared? How do you know that they're going to be ready to go for that? Now you know that there's some speakers. This is their profession. They are professional speakers. They are literally like Broadway actors. They could go out there and just on the flip of a switch, but others need a little bit more right. work. Others have full-time gigs. This is not their full-time gig. How do you ensure that the quality, the products out there, that their product, how do you ensure that they're prepared and ready to go, especially for a, a specific or unique audience? Well, I think it's something where we take pride in this and we have a small roster and that's intentional. When you're with a much larger roster, it's harder to know all your clients and know what makes them tick and how you're gonna prepare each of them. I know all my clients. I know what they need to hear. So it's something where it's, it's not a one size fits all. And I think that's something that we built a company on from the very beginning is the idea that not every client's the same, not every event's the same. You can't treat them all the same. 
So what Gary needs to prepare for an event is very different from what Rachel Tippograph needs to prepare for an event or John Henry needs to prepare for an event. And I is there a real fire? Is there a real fire going on or is that just an alarm? We're live, Here? but I need to... That's I got it. nothing on my end. I think that's, oh, that's me. End. That's me. <laughs> and I'm trapped in my Is little room here. No, only Al Roker. Uh, no, I'm kidding there. I, I digress for a moment here. So uh, we're, we're good unless someone, the fireman kicked down my door, which would make for some great live TV. <laughs> right? Exactly. I hope, not. I hope you're all right. No, I think someone just hit the fire, the fire alarm here. Uh, it happens every so often. So you could hear that, right? That's how good these mics are. Yeah, yeah, I, can, I got I can, a fire extinguisher right here if you need, though. Great. I actually have one. My dad was so funny when I got this new office. He's like, he's like such a dad. He's like, you got to go get a fire extinguisher. And I, and I did. So hopefully I won't have to use it here. But I want to talk about of me. We actually just uh, we just bought a house. And uh, before Mazel we moved tov. in, we're buying stuff on Black Friday. And uh, I, I buy a plunger. I bought a fire extinguisher. And she was like, you're a lunatic. We don't need these things yet. <laughs> yeah, I think my I think my wife said the same thing. So the pandemic's been absolutely insane. And it's affected, mm -hmm. you know, all these Every industry, every industry you can even think of, hospitality, tourism, speaking events, and there had to, this had to be this great pivot. And I can only imagine, you know, if I did the numbers in my head, how much money even a Gary makes, knowing what his booking fees are, all the events, it's a huge income loss. And you're an agent, you're getting a percentage of that, whatever your structured mm -hmm. deal is, and it's affecting your income. Talk to me, March 2020, shit hits the wall, it's a shit storm. What did you feel inside? Did your heart just drop? Yeah, well, I mean, so we had... Um, First off, let me set the stage for this, right? So hold on. Here's first, what I'm gonna do. You keep talking yeah. for a second. Tell the story. I'm gonna stick my head out you the door to make it. sure we're not burning down. Just keep talking. This is live TV. Just okay. keep talking. Tell, tell the story. Just stay with me here. Stay with it. We're live. All right. So it's uh, it's early February. Uh, I am uh, getting excited because Gary's got a booking at the beginning of April. Uh, he's supposed to go to Las Vegas. He's supposed to do an event um, where he's not the only speaker. He's gonna be there with Tom Brady, who's obviously uh, means a lot to me as a Patriots fan. Now. Uh, the personal note here is that my firstborn was March 6th. Uh, she was due. She was due at the end of March, uh, and I was like, I can't go to this event. I'm not gonna be able to see Gary no with Tom Brady at this event because I've got a baby coming up on in, in March. So I'm already disappointed. But then in late February, the first event that gets canceled. So we're talking February 25th around then, and we have a canceled event, and that's just the beginning. I fly down to Miami. I've got Jesse Itzler doing two events back-to-back -back days. One Jesse. of the two gets canceled. The second event has a, a drop in, in uh, attendance. I fly back to New York. My my daughter is born the next day, um, <laughs> three weeks early, right? And then oh, instead of paternity leave, I have triage where every event that I have on the books is getting postponed or canceled. So, you're so dealing it is with an it. absolute pandemonium. Oh my God. I'm going to have to go back and rewind the last minute and a half before you said, but I put Tom Brady <laughs> and Gary in the same, they were going to be at the same event. Right. They were supposed to be at the same event. Were they going to arm wrestle? Canceled. Were they going to arm no, wrestle? No, they were just going to go on one after the next, but Gary said, as long as I got to make sure that I don't see Tom Brady. So only Gary would say that. Why? That's how much he hates him. Jesus. That's, that's absolutely crazy. So the, the building's not so burning that was, down. That's good so, to know. So, that was the so first event that got canceled. We had hundreds of events that got canceled after that hundreds now and what's interesting is it's been a year we now are at our pre-pandemic levels in terms of events happening so wow because of virtual what, what, yeah you can have as there, there are more events now than there were back then because he's going so much are going, are fees going down of course of course the revenue is not the same as what it was but you know look gary did two he's doing an event right now okay gary is live somewhere else um at an event we did another event this afternoon and he's got one event tomorrow so it's something where speakers are able to do more events, um, but mm -hmm. it's certainly not the same. 
Um, and for a while there, it was grim. Because look, Gary and I have been doing virtual events for years. The first one we did was back in 2012. We were ready for this. We've done virtual events for years in his office. Now with the office closed, suddenly he's doing them on his own from a laptop. So it's a whole different ball game. But I think over time people adjusted, right? It became the norm. And so it very quickly was something that people adapted to. We were ready for the adaptation. The problem was that not every event was. So it took some time to get over that. But now I think that everyone's done it, done it at least once. Um, they're figuring out like, this is something that works. We have to figure out how to utilize this for the future. But does it, but does it work? I mean, like, let's think about that experience. There's a tremendous difference between me watching uh, uh, someone give a speech on my screen and I'm distracted. I'm looking at my phone. I'm looking at this mm -hmm. versus the live in-person experience. And you could feel their energy. You could feel their enthusiasm and you're listening to them. It's, it's 100%. different. And it's, a di and it's a different world. And it's different also for a speaker to do what I'm doing here, even with nice lights and a good camera and everything, to speak into a screen instead of looking at the people and looking in their eyes. How do you ensure that same effect of that live experience or how do you get as close well, as you can look this is live right now right and this this afternoon gary was speaking there were six people in chairs in front of him and that, that was an upgrade right that was an upgrade compared to what it could have been did it bring so, him back to his early days <laughs> <laughs> i think he'd say he never spoke to a crowd that small um, of course uh but it's, i think you're right look there are some things that you can't replicate there's no arguing that right but on the flip side if you are based in australia in mm -hmm. indonesia in nairobi in you know, rural parts of France, now you can participate in a Access. way that you couldn't before. So it's there's pros and cons to everything. I think the future is hybrid. I think the future is we're gonna have a live event in person um, and you can meet your neighbor and you can take a meeting down at the bar at breakfast the next day. Um, but it is also, we're gonna have access to people who couldn't come before. And it's gonna break down walls for people who maybe they can't travel. Maybe they're afraid of flying. Maybe, maybe they don't wanna travel. Or, Maybe a company says, we're not going to spend the $2,000 it takes to mm -hmm. send you to Dallas, but we'll spend the 300 bucks to get you a ticket to this thing so you can learn. And I think the other thing is, you know, not everyone learns the same way. So you talk about like, you're going to be, you know, second screening it. I sit in the back of, of the audience when I watch speeches, because I want to see how many heads are actually pointed up and how many are pointed down. So you got to pay attention to that. But a lot of people aren't watching even when they're there in person. Yeah, they're easily distracted. It's fascinating. It's also, we don't have enough data. We're still so early in this. We don't know what it's going to look like. I, I'm a big believer that it's mm -hmm. going to be hybrid. I also believe that we're going to get back to more live stuff soon. There's vaccinations. I mean, I'm going we're not to my far first. Off. We're not far off. I mean, I, I bought med tickets uh, a couple of weeks ago for a May game. I literally felt like I just bought Super Bowl tickets. Yeah. Like a mech game, something that I take for granted, like something, a freaking mech game that I usually buy the cheapest seats and walk down and sneak in. Now I'm talking to my friend for a random Thursday game. I'm like, we got to get the best seats. We're not going to be able to move. It's a completely different it's, world. It's uncanny. I was watching part of the Red Sox game today in the background. And uh, the pitcher steps off the mound. And the whole crowd started booing. And it was like, oh, I missed this. I, did, I didn't realize I needed the crowd. And I think events are the same way. You know, we're, we're already seeing there are live events happening in certain places. Some speakers are willing to. Others aren't. There's safety measures being taken. Um, this summer, I think you'll be able to have events. Now I think people won't want right. to do that. I was I was in Central Park this weekend. It was beautiful out. There were people everywhere. It was packed. People want to be out. They want to be outside. They want to be with their we're friends, ready. with their family. You know, it's it's something that people are clamoring for. So I don't know if they're going to be dying to go to business conferences, but we're it's already done. seeing that this fall is going to be busy and people are so they have this pent up desire to be with one another, to congregate, to see that community that they missed. And so we're already seeing it, and I think that you're going to see the bounce back be just as strong. I'm already hearing from people who are telling me they're trying to hold events. They can't find venues. 
That's a great thing. I love hearing that. That's a that's a that's a that's a that's a that's a really um a good problem to have. So you're optimistic. I mean, you have to be. I think we're going to get there. This has been a, a, a bump on a road. But what you personally, personally, like what, what have you learned from what have you learned about yourself from COVID? How you, you've responded, reacted? You know, it's it's uh, a lot. I mean, again, mind you, I had a baby five days before the New York City quarantine. Um, so I think there were things that I was going to learn anyways, the hard way. Um, but I think it's really the value of time, how to manage your time properly. It's always been something that I've been, you know, I, I move real fast. Uh, I try to be as efficient as possible so that when I'm not working, I can be as lazy as possible. Um, I like that. But it's something where <laughs> my guy. you, know, you got you to figure out how to make it work. And I think you also got to figure out who you can trust. Uh, I try to empower my employees to go the extra mile because um, it's especially in this world, we're used to talking to one another. We're used to, you know, tapping people on the shoulders. And you can't do that. And so yeah, it's an adjustment. And I think we all figured out how to make it work. You know, you have to do that with distractions. And there are certain pros and cons to working from home. Um, but I think we all, you have to figure it out in your own ways. I think I was lucky because I'd worked from home for two other jobs previously. So I kind of avoided some pitfalls because I've done it before. Not everyone had that benefit, but you know, I think you just got to figure out how to manage the distractions. And that was something I learned pretty early on was like, you gotta, you gotta manage these things because if you don't, you're just going to get buried and the, the work doesn't slow down because we're working at home, right? Events may well, I shouldn't say that it was pretty slow in April and May. Yeah, I was about uh, but to once say. we got back, I was going to say it's about as busy as I've ever been because the virtual events take twice as much work as an in person event, right? It's a new ground, it's animation, you can do anything, right? I keep joking, it's animation because it's like there's no rules of physics. Can I can stream from here, I can also be in a hotel room in Prague. It doesn't matter where I it am, it doesn't matter. There's all it sorts of matter. things that can change, so you know, it's adaptability, what's, it's really what it's all about. What's 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 the coolest thing you've seen, like from an innovation standpoint? Like, I've seen like really cool, like virtual experience as far as like lobbies and, and networking. And I said to one of my buddies, it's kind of like an online poker game where there's different tables and mm -hmm. dealers and you're kind of moving around there. But what have you seen? Is there, is there a talk of a hologram, Gary? Like, what, what have we seen that's just been like mind boggling to you? Well, there's two things that come up. I mean, first off, we've seen everything, you know, especially in the early days of the pandemic, anyone who had any sort of virtual reality, you know, mm -hmm. uh, AI type, um, you know, presentation, you know, stuff was, was coming our way, whether it was a platform or, you know, um, a streaming service, we saw it all. And frankly, they were all very similar. There wasn't a lot that separated them or they were cost prohibitive. But you talk about poker. There's a group I work with, a production company out of London, you know, shout out to my guys at EMC3. Um, they put together an amazing, amazing uh, program where it was poker. You could Zoom with people, you could play poker, and it was hundreds of people so that when you elevate after uh, off a table, you go and join other people at other tables. And they had to develop that from the ground up. There's yeah. also a group I work with out of Romania. Uh, I'll give a shout out to Avi from Brand Emotion um, and Brand Minds. They, they put together something where it kind of looked like Sports Center. Gary was on a screen, right? And it looked like the host was in like the Sports Center studio talking to Gary up on a screen and Gary was talking to the host, but the way they had the camera set up and the green screens, it was really beautifully done and it really costs nice money to do this, but you yeah, can do it. The other side is this production value. I can assure you, Adam, you're spending money on this. There's no doubt, but compared to what it would have cost you five years ago, it's night and day. And so the fact I, that you can do this, the fact that anyone can do it nice enough, we have a lower barrier for entry people are used to it. And I think that that's been one of the biggest wins of this is that we all kind of have a appreciation for production value, but we also realize you don't lose that much if you're not spending a million dollars on a mm -hmm. production there's budget. A, there, there, there's a balance here. So I assume you have a, a boy or a girl. I have a girl, Lila. Lila. I love that name. Just turned one, close to one. Just turned one. What, what has been the 
the biggest surprise about it. It's, it's, it's great to talk to new parents. I have an eight and a half year old daughter, mm-hmm. two and a half year old son. Like something that you thought, like, and I always tell new parents, I go, the greatest piece of advice I give people is to not take advice from anybody else about parenting because <laughs> everyone has their own experience. But what is something that you kind of thought about being a father that was going to happen that maybe hasn't or something that, you know, just, I never expected this. I never expected this in my wildest dreams when I had a kid. It's a great question. I mean, I think uh, I have been pleasantly surprised by how much I can do with, with very little sleep. Um, going back to my days of waking up at four o'clock in the morning for a golf tournament, uh, I guess maybe I got some training in there. Um, but yeah. I mean, I think it's it's really just the joy. Like you try to enjoy every minute of it, but the way that she smiles at literally anything, a box, you know, a roll of paper towels is just the coolest thing. It gives you an appreciation for things. And I think, you know, it makes you kind of slow down and see what's really going on. Um, and especially in this virtual world, like when the walls were coming down around us, when when events were canceling left and right, and we were trying to navigate this world, at the end of the day, I was like, well, this is why I'm doing it. And, you know, <laughs> it's not all that bad. We'll figure it out, right? There's there's things in this world. And and look, you know, last summer was dark times. Last spring was really scary we didn't, we didn't right? know. And around we didn't the know. globe. We had no idea what was going to happen. And so that, to kind of slow down, see a smile changes a lot. So I think the perspective it gave me really, um, you know, matured me in a lot of different ways. Does it give you, I, I mean, I, I think about this all the time. My, my, my daughter's going to remember this time. My two and a half year old son is never going to remember any of this. Mm-hmm. We're going to go back and we're going to tell the stories of the pandemic, the plagues. It's so funny. We just had Passover. I'm like, we are literally in <laughs> one of the plagues. This is a freaking plague. Like the Bible, like, like you used to think of the Bible as something you know, thousands and thousands of years ago. Holy shit. And then all of yeah. a sudden the summer's going to come and we're going to have the cicadas. And you're like, okay, plague, locust. And you're like, uh-uh. And then they talk about the firstborn. I'm like, no, 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 no. We're not, we're not, we're not, we're not getting to that one. Um, it, it's incredible. I mean, parenthood definitely gives you such such a unique perspective. And and I think that's that's a moment everything changes. And for me, I, I always say like, the second, the second my daughter came into this world, that's when everything in this world stopped being about me, mm-hmm. and it became her. And that was a fundamental shift in everything that I do, and why I built this company, and why I do everything that I have. Um. Before we get to kind of the encore here, let's talk about music. You're a huge vinyl collector. Um, I do, yeah. Yeah, like, do you go cross genres? Do you are you just a general collector, oh, or yeah. is there a specific? Do you have anything? No, specific? I mean, I'm, is it I'm a rarity old, thing. I I like old stuff. I mean, I my wife and I, you know, one of the very first things we bonded on was a love for kind of classic rock, sixties and seventies music. Um, you know, I, I was telling you, we just bought this house up in Woodstock, New York, right? you know, literally 15 minutes from where our favorite band was playing in the seventies. So we, you know, we love that kind of stuff. And the fact and that my that, wife had a vinyl collection band? too. Who's that vinyl the band? The band. Literally yeah. The band. Yeah. They play with Bob Dylan and you know, my wife had a vinyl collection when we first got together and it was like, okay, I like this. I see where this is going. Like, um, but yeah, I mean, I love, look, my, my personal stuff. I love like early British, you know, blues rock. Um, but I always, I, I think the coolest part about collecting vinyls, cause I don't listen to a whole lot of current music. So I like finding out, uh, new old music, right? Like who did like, Led Zeppelin listen to? Yeah. Right. Like you like, go on deep or, tracks on Sirius XM, deep tracks. Oh, I try going deep on, on kind of who my favorite bands appreciated. And then I listen to them. Half the time it's terrible, right? Some like, of these, these bands from the forties or fifties. Yeah. But if you, you kind of figure it out, you, you can kind of hear your band in their band. And so, um, it becomes really fun. So I, I listen to it all. Yeah, it's fascinating. That's a, that's a great perspective too to see what their musical influences are. But what is what is that prize vinyl that you have? What is like your <laughs> right? You know, you know, like what is that like? This is my prize possession. 
so I haven't bought it yet because I refuse to to pay like the 400 bucks or it's going to whatever it's going to cost on eBay. I, I'm a searcher, so I have to find the vinyl. I'm not just going to go part, buy it online. That's part of yeah, the Yeah, so I, I'm looking for, for Nick Drake's Pink Moon. It's a beautiful album. It's a hard one to find. It's a rare one. Um, but the one I have, I think, is uh, Music from Big Pink by the band, which is, again, a house that's 15 minutes from where I now own a house. So it's a, 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 a piece of pride for me. You've been to Stella's up there? No, I don't know Stella's. In Woodstock? I'll have to check that out. Yeah, we were up there a couple of weeks ago. It was awesome. Like, nice. literally, it was, it was just, just phenomenal. Like, blown away. And it's also, it's beautiful there. But we digress here. So let's bring mm-hmm. it home here. Um, you listened to a couple episodes, which I certainly appreciate. And for me, it's my master class. It's how I learn. It's my osmosis. Zach, what is the single greatest piece of advice you've ever received that you take action on every single day of your life? So I had a, uh, I love this question, by the way. And uh, growing up, like you asked me before, you know, I was really into sports, but I was a musician, right? I played you know, multiple instruments growing up. And the, we had the leader of our, our uh, orchestra and our band at, uh, at my high school is this very well-known person in the field. And he would always tell us, Mr. Busey would always say, you know, if you're going to make a mistake, make it loud. Because the idea was, if you're being timid, you're not giving your 100%. So I really kind of take that to heart. And, and you say every day, it's really how you got to live your life, right? If you're going to make mistakes, if you're going you're gonna to do things the right way, either way, you got to be loud. You got to you know, do it with conviction. And so it was something that you know, he would drill it into. And if you made a, a small mistake, he was like, no, I want you to make it as loud as possible. So that is something that I definitely live every single day of my life. Wow, that's a good one. I try to make my mistakes pretty loud. And then if my wife catches me, I try to cover it up there. Um, <laughs> you've had... ton of success and you're i mean the future is bright man but like if if you could put your finger on one zach nadler this was the greatest professional success that i've had to date what would it be wow my greatest professional success to date i hope i haven't gotten there yet i keep saying and i'll I'll put it on record here i tell gary we're going to be uh you know we're going to sell out madison square garden one day so let's uh if he's opening for kevin hart (laughs) <laughs> look there's not a lot of people who have done it so i keep saying that's what we're going to do one day and it's not even on our radar we're not planning it by any means i just like having this is like gary saying he wants to buy the jets i want to have him headline madison square garden let's do it i don't think that's too far out of reach no well maybe no. right now because i don't think any anyone is is i mean maybe a sell at a Madison square garden now is probably like 1800 people so i could cheat <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, that's not really sell out city field at 8500 i think i think we can manage <laughs> i think i think we can would manage that one um and you know we we talked about the silver lining so i'm never gonna ask that one um but i do want to know what is that superpower what does zach nadler do better than almost anyone in this universe that makes so, you who you are I mean, I, I move quick, right? I, I make fast decisions. I do a lot of things in a short period of time. Um, again, I try to be as efficient as possible, but I think it's, it's, I don't know if it's a superpower so much as just something I'm really good at, but I've been able to figure out how to kind of move and groove at a really high speed. Um, and thankfully things don't get lost in the, in, in between. So uh, it's a matter of kind of focusing on those details and then bouncing from one thing to the next and just knocking them out. Action over perfection. Mm-hmm. Forward progress, my friend. And last but not least, you know, you look back on your career, you look back on those early days, you look back on some of those early mistakes. Maybe there's times when you question, am I going down the right path? Do I know what I'm doing here? Some self-doubt. And you had to reach down deep inside and harness that inner tenacity to pull you up. And right now, you know, looking back, you got through COVID. We're working mm-hmm. through this. You thought your career and everything that you've worked for might have been down the tubes, literally down the toilet. And you're looking back and you're looking at your beautiful family, your daughter, 
the house you just bought, the success you have, and you want to show gratitude. Zach Nather, what is your compass? What is your North Star? So this was this was a question, like you said, I've listened to your podcast. I was thinking a lot about this because I, I've done a lot. I was working like really hard as a young person, right, in, in my you know, teenage years, right? Uh, and what was it that kept driving me? And what I kept coming back to was it's not any one thing other than the idea of ambition. I've never been someone who needed external motivation. I've always just like been pointed and laser focused and I get it done. And so I think that the idea of ambition, right? If you look at what I do for a living, right? Speed engagements doesn't end. It's not like I book Gary once and then he's like, great, I'm satisfied, that's that, right? It's not like it's 50 times a year and then great, what about next year? It's a never ending field. And I feel like it's no surprise that I, I landed here right? You work with an athlete. Okay. So they have 15 year career. Maybe they're getting three, four contracts out of that, right? That's, that's great. You could be successful and that can be the, the whole business for us. It's, it's more, it's what's next. It's how we keep every client happy. How do we get more clients? How do we do more events? How are our customers as happy as possible? And so I'm just always kind of never satisfied. I think, you know, it's maybe, maybe I have a tapeworm. I don't know a, a part, that part of my brain. I just need to keep doing more. Right? I, I've got to, I keep growing. Um, keep adding. I was never satisfied. I've never had a year where I did less business than the year before. Um, and I want to keep that streak going forever. I love it, man. Zach, thank you so much for spending time with us this evening. I appreciate you. Where could folks find you? Where could they connect with you? Where could they learn more? Yeah, look, you can follow me everywhere at Zach Nadler uh, on all platforms, but it's probably not going to be as much fun unless you want to see my dog and baby. Um, Vayner Speakers is really where the good stuff is. You'll see all my clients, all the stuff we're working on. And uh, we got a few tricks up our sleeves, so stay tuned. Yes, we love it. Awesome. And everyone who's joining us in the live stream, we'll get to it. If anyone has any questions, we'll get to that in one moment. Zach, I appreciate you. Thank you for spending time with us today. Everyone listening at home, I thank you for spending time with us. As always, if you love what you heard today, please leave a review, rating. It goes a long way. Share it. Sharing means caring. Remember, take care of each other. Stay six feet apart. Catch us more at thepodcast.com. And we'll see you next week for another great episode. Take care. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The Pausecast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.